Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of preaching here at, uh, at Sojourn Heights. Uh, as he said, we've been going through a series in the book of John. This is our last week in, uh, in John. We've been looking at the, the life of Jesus, teachings of Jesus, miracles of Jesus. And, um, and throughout the back part, especially of the series, we've, we've been kind of highlighting the way Jesus uses, uh, uses one word, the word life. Um, seeing that when he talks about life, he's not talking about physical life or physical existence. He's talking about uh, the good life, the, the life that we all want. And last week, we, uh, we looked at and quoted Luce Ferry, a French atheist philosopher, saying that, uh, that Christianity offers the world that we all long for, the world that we all want. And, uh, and we saw John say that that world exists, the good life does exist, and the path to it is uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And now, now after the resurrection... At the end of the book of John, John is going to close out this letter. He's going to close out with a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Um, and the topic of this conversation, the, the topic of this conversation between Jesus and Peter is going to be something that, that, that Peter struggles with, but not just Peter. Something that most of us, if not all of us, in this room struggle with. And so... Uh, what Jesus does in this convo, I think, is, is brilliant. Uh, rather than just coming out and telling Peter, hey, here's your problem, rather than just sitting down and saying, hey, uh, Pete, Pete, let's, let's talk for a minute, man. We need a convo. Uh, here's what's wrong in your life. He, um, he, he asks Peter some questions, and he takes Peter uh, into his past, and then he takes Peter into his future so that Peter might be able to see his own present, which is, uh, which is really... Uh, just what good counselors do, right? So good counselors don't uh, just sit down and say, hey, uh, hey, Brandon, I need to tell you what's wrong with you. Uh, they, they ask questions. They say, hey, uh, what's going on over here? And what about this? And tell me about this from your past. And, uh, or like my counselor, Brandon, do you think you're insecure? Nope, I don't think I'm insecure. Well, what about this? All right, man, you're right, I'm insecure. I get it, let's move on. Um, <laughs> today... Uh, today, when we close out the book of John, here, here's my, my prayer. My prayer is that Jesus would be a good counselor to us. And so rather, rather than just telling you, hey, here's Peter's issue, we're going to look at Peter's past, we're going to look at Peter's future, so maybe, maybe we can see our own presence and see where we are like Peter. Let's go verse 15. The scene here, Jesus has um, been resurrected from the grave. He rested, died on the cross, buried, resurrected. Um, he has breakfast with the disciples. He eats with them, and now here's where the letter closes out, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, and tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there is a mountain going on in this little exchange right here. We could preach four-week sermon series on this conversation alone. But for today, if we just pulled up the hood, if we lift the hood and ask, what's happening? Here's what's happening. Jesus says three times, hey, Peter, do you love me? No, yeah, I love you. Okay, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. All right, Peter, do you love me? And here's what's happening. Um, Peter, or Jesus, with Peter, is flagging a recent memory in the life of Peter. See, a few days before this, not long before this conversation happened, Jesus was arrested. Jesus gets arrested. He's taken away. Peter goes and follows the men as they take Jesus uh, away. And along the way, along the way, there are uh, some people, there's some religious leaders, and there's a little girl. Hear that? A little girl who say to Peter, hey, hey, Peter, aren't, aren't you with that guy? Like, aren't you one of the people that's with Jesus? And Peter, three times, says, no. No, no, you got, you, you got, the, you got the wrong guy. And when Jesus asked three times, he's flagging this memory in Peter. And it would have been when, when, when he denied Jesus and said, no, I, I don't know him, I think the best analogy I could give for what's happening in that moment would be um, as if my wife, Amanda, uh, who I hope would never say this, uh, walks down this door. Uh, she's back there in Sojourn Kids, and one of the kids in the older room comes up and says, hey, aren't, aren't you married to that guy who just talks too much and isn't really serious often enough? Aren't, aren't you married to him? And she's like, no, 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 wrong, wrong lady. And then she keeps going, and then a, a volunteer, one of our Sojourn Kids uh, volunteers comes up and says, no, no, I think you are, aren't, you are married to him, right? She's like, no, I think it's a blonde girl uh, right, over, uh, right over there, but that's not, uh, that's not me. That's what's happening when Peter says, no, I, man, I, I don't know him. And so here, here's the question, why would Peter do that? Why would Peter in that moment, right, why would Peter, in that moment, say, no, I, I don't know who he is? The real answer is I don't really know. Uh, the text doesn't explicitly say, uh, but what, it, what we can do is we can look at the Scriptures and we can see the narrative of Peter's life. And if you were to, to go and read the Bible and you, and you follow just this theme of, of Peter's life, you're going to find two uh, kind of dual competing themes in Peter. You're going to find one guy who is this crazy, passionate, I will do anything for you, Jesus, right? Remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we saw Jesus being arrested. There's um, more men than he could count. They come to arrest him, and he's like, Jesus, I got this. Grabs a sword, cuts a guy's ear off. Like, that's one Peter, but then there's another Peter. There's a Peter that is controlled and consumed and paralyzed by what other people think. Think about the exchange in Galatians where, uh, where Paul says, hey, are you, are you kidding me? Like, like you're acting and living and, uh, and, and eating with the Gentiles and the Jews that show up, and then all of a sudden you back away? There is, there is this dual competing theme going on in the life of Peter, and Jesus enters into that fear, that fear of what do other people think of me. 
What's going to happen to me? What about my life with the question, do you love me? See, Jesus is entering in to this consuming, controlling fear that Peter has with the question, do you love me? And here's, uh, and here's why Jesus does this. See, what Jesus knows is this. He, he knows that what you love most determines what else you love and it determines what you fear. What you love most determines what else you love and it determines what you fear. Let me illustrate. Um, I, uh, I love my wife, Amanda, and because I love my wife, Amanda, I don't love other women. I also don't fear what other women think of me, right? So when I was single, uh, an unmarried man out on the prowl looking around, asking everybody out and no one saying yes, um, I would hear things like, hey, man, you're just, you're just not really my type. Um, I would hear things like, hey, you're just not serious enough, Brandon. And I would think, I'm sorry, I have fun. Like, that's not... <laughs> Like, that's not my fault that you don't like to enjoy life. I don't really, uh, one time after becoming a Christian, I heard, uh, hey, I just think for a season you should date Jesus. Uh, and I had no idea what that meant. Um, that sounded exceptionally creepy to me. Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, every single time I heard something like that or you're not my type, it was crushing. It was crushing. Like, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a time that I heard it, and it wasn't crushing. Now, now you can tell me, hey, Brandon, you're just not my type. And you know what I'm going to say? Cool, you're not my type either. You know who my type is? Amanda. That's my type. <laughs> who I love most, what I love most, determines both who else I love, what else I love, and what I fear. And what I fear. But... Here's the reality, and every married man or woman in here knows this. It is possible. Well, you know what? Single men and women, y'all know this too. This is not rocket science. I need to be Dr. Phil to explain this one to you. I don't watch Dr. Phil. I don't know what he has to say. Um, Because I love Amanda doesn't mean my love for Amanda is always controlling me. Because I love Amanda doesn't mean my love for Amanda is always controlling me. And when my love for Amanda isn't controlling me, the thoughts, words of other women can become seductive. And this is what was happening to Peter. It's not that Peter didn't love Jesus. When Peter said, no, I I don't know that man, it's that his love for Jesus wasn't controlling him. And the thoughts and fears of other people and what could happen to him became awfully seductive. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, at least he's trying, Peter, your root issue is a misplaced love. Your root issue is a misplaced love. Which is why now he goes to Peter's future. 
to expose Peter to Peter. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, the, the brackets on verse 19, the, the brackets that, that John puts in here, uh, those are for us. Peter didn't need these. This wasn't for Peter. This is for us. Peter was fully aware of what Jesus was saying, that where it says, um, you will stretch out your hands, that is first century shorthand for you're going to die on a cross. Peter didn't need those brackets. Peter knew what Jesus was saying to him right here and right now, and he knew that this was Jesus predicting Peter's death, which, by the way, happened by the time this was written. So when Jesus says this, when he says, follow me, this is what Peter heard. Hey, hey man, Peter, you're, you're going to die. You're, you're going to die like I did. You're going to die on a cross. You're going to die being crucified. Follow me. Hey, Peter, you're going to lose your life. Follow me. Hey, Peter, in the end, it's not going to go well for you. Not at all. Follow me. See, when Jesus said this to Peter, here's what Peter didn't hear. He didn't hear, follow me. That means I should have a devotional once or twice a week. He didn't hear, hey, man, you better, you better go to parish at least twice a month. You need it. Both good things. I, I want you opening the scriptures and seeing Jesus come alive, and I want to I see you walking in rich, deep community with one another. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's not what Peter heard. Peter heard, you're going to die. Follow me. Follow me. For Peter, this was a declaration to be willing to die the way Jesus did. It was a declaration of the heart. It was, which is not new, by the way, right? Remember what Jesus has already said, hey, hey, you want to you be one of my disciples? You need to take up your cross and follow me. You need to be willing to let your love for me be so controlling that you're willing to die because of it. Follow me is not simply go where I go, right? The whole point of the first story was Peter did that. Peter, you went where I went. It's like you followed me, but you didn't follow me. Follow me is a command of the heart. John adds, this uh, this is a death for us um, that glorifies God. And I think what he meant was, in the way that he said this, there is, a, there is a willingness to follow Jesus even in the face of death that is glorifying and honoring to God. If I could localize something for us here at Sojourn Heights, let me tell you one reason. I don't mean to be morbid with this. Um, this is already morbid enough, but let me... Let me tell you one reason that we pray, oh God, bring us older men and women 
who have loved Jesus for a long time and who are going to keep loving Jesus until the end because he's bringing a lot of young men and women who need to learn how to die. And we need to, we need to be able to watch the generation before us stay faithful in love with Jesus until the end. When I was in Dallas, lived in Dallas for eight and a half years, uh, when I was in Dallas, there was a guy named Bill Seal, uh, who was a real older mentor, discipler, just spiritual father in my life, and he was in his 60s, and, and one day, uh, one, one day, one day Bill goes out for a run, like most mornings. And when he got home from the run, he sat down in the chair, his wife walked over, And he was talking, but he wasn't saying any words. And 18 months later, Bill would die from a brain tumor. In those 18 months, I got to watch love for Jesus explode in his life. See, he had had choices, didn't he? He could have gone the why me route. He could have gone the this isn't fair God route. And instead, I got to sit at a Starbucks at the corner by my house and listen to him say, I hate this, and I love Jesus more today than I ever have. One reason we pray for older men and women is that we would learn to die in such a way that it glorifies God. Because... Because when you are faced, and by God's grace, I pray that for some, for most of us, for all of us in this room, this is, this is a point in the sermon that we're not going to need for 30, 40, 50 years. But there's going to be a day when we need it. When you are faced with death, what you love the most will come to the surface. When you are faced with death, what you love most will come to the surface. Which is why, which is why Jesus in Luke 22 said, Father, in route to the cross, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In Philippians 2, he said, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, death is nobody's friend, but death will reveal what you love the most. It will reveal what has controlled the heart that is in you. Jesus, it was the Father, not my will, but yours. And Peter eventually got this. He eventually got this. It's why in First Peter he said, rejoice when you suffer the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice at the glory that is going to be revealed. That he eventually got it. He eventually got that death has a purpose. The death in your life can serve the purpose of purging you from secondary loves being your primary love. 
He eventually got it. And when I say he eventually got it, I mean Peter eventually got it. Right? First Peter, what he wrote there, when he wrote First Peter, approximately 30 years after this conversation. Roughly 30 years after this conversation. What's the point? The point is some of you in here, you wrestle and you struggle and you fight sin and you fear and you doubt and you feel like, man, I'm on this constant pendulum swing back and forth and you're furious with yourself. You think, why can I not just keep it together? And I think Peter would try to say to you, hey, man, hey, hey woman, give yourself some grace. Take a deep breath. Remember grace. Fight sin. Struggle to believe. I think Peter would say, listen, man, it took me a while. It took me a while to get it. You're probably not going to get it right now. But just keep striving. Keep putting one step in front of the other. Peter eventually got it. He got that sanctification. Sanctification, just a, a big word for having our life changed from who we are more and more to be like Jesus. Sanctification is a slow process. It's a slow process. But it starts with an honest look at yourself, which is where Jesus goes now. So he looked at Peter's past, and then he looked at his future, and now he's going to zero in on Peter's present. Verse 20. Now, after hearing, hey, Peter, you're going to die, follow me, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, remember last week, this is John. This is John saying, hey, Jesus loved somebody, and it was me, all right? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now, here's what Peter just did. Jesus, hey, Peter, you're going to die. You're going to die. Follow me. Peter, well, what about that guy? I'm going to die. What about him? Like, okay, fine, fair enough. You don't want me to live? What do you want for that guy? This is Jesus' answers. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that the disciple, John, was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, Peter, that he was not to die. But, this is what he said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? See, here's what Peter is saying. I don't want my life. What about that guy? See, the undercurrent of Peter, the reason he would say, what about that guy, is to say, he's got a better future and I want it. I don't want my life, Jesus. I want his life. What about him? And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, don't you love me? If you love me, what are you, what are you worried about his life for? What about your lot? You Follow me. Peter's issue 
And if we could just kind of drill down into the heart of Peter here. Peter's issue that I think is our issue, it's certainly my issue. And I would say it's all of our issue, but I don't want anybody to get like, hey, you can't say that, although I believe that. So I didn't say it, but it's complicated, and here's the barrier. I think here is the primary barrier that, that, that's being exposed in Peter right now. It's got an undercurrent to it, but here's the barrier. And it's the barrier in your life and my life to living the life that Jesus died for, the life that John has been trying to say, hey, there's a good life available. That life you want, it's there. And here's the roadblock. You ready? It's a life of comparison. It's a life of what if I had? What if, what if my life looked like their life? If I had their life, if I had their job, their family, their money, their house, their you name it, my life would be better. It's, it's Peter. What about him? This is my life? What about that guy? I want that guy's life. This is the deep roadblock that I think is sitting at the undercurrent of many of our lives in here. Listen, I, it, I don't think it's not a Peter issue. I don't think it's a heights issue. I think it's a fallen humanity. It's a broken humanity issue. And I, I think it starts manifesting early. So I've got, um, if you're new, I've got three kids, six, five, and uh, two. My six-year-old daughter came up to me the other day and said, uh, hey, hey, Daddy, um, Easton, her little brother, uh, Easton said, I'm, I'm not as cool as he is. And, uh, and so I was like, hey, buddy, you don't say that to your sister. Like, you don't say you're, she's not as cool as you are. And, uh, and he said, well, but she's not. And uh, I do more tricks than her. So that's how I know. And like at our core, right, it, it, it's woven into our core. It's a Genesis 3 issue. Why, why can't I be like God? Why can't I? Why does God get to know what I don't get to know? This comparative life led to the fall, and it has wrecked the world since then. And for some of us in here, it's wrecking our lives right now. And I, I think if, if we could just spend a little bit of time talking about this, maybe applying a little bit, uh, I, I think that it is, we, we live in, and what it has to be an unprecedented era of social media. Where at every turn, I can, I, every time I open my phone or open my computer, I can see all the great things that are going on in all of your lives. And let me tell you something. You know what no one does? No one posts on social media real life. No one does. You know who? I don't either. Right? So I, I post things like, hey, I'm skiing. Uh hey, I messed up my steak that I grilled tonight. Here's what I don't post. I just spent 45 minutes with my, my daughter screaming at me and crying. I tried timeout three times, spanked her twice. Nothing is working. I don't post that. I don't want you calling CPS on me, first of all. I'll shut the door on them too, right? I, I, but nobody posts real life. We post this illusionary, my coolest life today life. It just fosters this life of comparison, this comparative, their life is so great, my life isn't. And if I could say something to single ladies in here, I think this is probably true for the men too, but 
single ladies. The social media world that we live in, it, 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 it's a world where communication is more available than it's ever been, which means more marketing is available than it's ever been, which means you get to hear more messages of, hey, you're single because you don't look like this. And on behalf, I don't know who I'm on behalf of, but maybe humanity that's not like that. Can I just say that I'm sorry? Like, I'm sorry you have to hear that day after day after day after day. It's not true. The Lord loves you. The Lord formed you. The Lord didn't make a mistake with you. If you're single, male or female, it's because the Lord has you single today. It's the moms in here. You know, we've, we've been in this kind of baby boom for like, well, as long as I've been here, right? And it seems like there are more opinions about how to be a mother today than ever before. Right? It seems like everybody's got an opinion, and their opinion is the right one. Right? Do you cloth diaper? Do you not cloth diaper? Right? Do you let them cry it out? Do you not let them cry it out? Do you give them Skittles? Do you not give them Skittles? <laughs> if they even look at a Coke, they're destined to a life of whatever, you know? What if? And I, I want to. What if sojourn? Like, like, what if that wasn't us? Like, what if? What if we weren't the people that had all the right opinions? Like, what if we acknowledged to our moms in here? I'm, and listen, I'm sorry. I'm sensitive. I've got three kids, a wife who's been beat down by this. So I'm sensitive. And you're getting to deal with it. Like, what if we acknowledge that motherhood is hard enough? And what if we didn't make moms who are struggling to just stay above water feel like failures for using the wrong kind of diapers or feeding them the wrong kind of candy? Like, what if? Like, what if we just came around and encouraged them and supported them and helped? And what if us, what if us who are in here uh, who don't have kids, uh, would go and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, listen, I, I know life is crazy for you. Can I, can I watch your kids on a Friday night so y'all can go out? Like, what if when we stepped into neighborhood parishes, those would be places where we felt supported and cared for, not critiqued? Now, let me start to close like this. I'm not closing. That was preacher hyperbole. Um, I'll be done when I'm done. Um, I don't feel like stopping right now, so I'm not going to. Um, what about this, right? Uh, my, my work ranks me. My work ranks me. When I go to work, I get ranked. Right? I'm on a scale. My career is dependent on how I rank. Um, 
how, how is it possible for me not to live a life of comparison uh, when I'm at work? Like, I have to compare at work. Well, fair enough. Um, I, I get that. I, I get that your work ranks you. I think there's probably a more humane way to do it, but I'm not an executive at your company. But, but what if this? What if you weren't consumed with how you compare to the people that you work with? Like, like what if you weren't just consumed with, I rank here, they rank here. If I do this, I'll be here. And if they fail, they'll be here. But if they succeed, they'll be here. Because here's the deal. If you are consumed with how you compare to the person you work with, you will never, never serve the person you're competing with. Never. And in light of Jesus' statement, I came to serve, not be served, that, that's, an, that's an awfully dangerous place to be in. If, if you are consumed with how you compare to the person you're competing with, you will never serve the person you're competing with. And listen, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with professional competition. Like, I there's nothing wrong with going, hey, I want to excel at my job and be promoted. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There is something wrong with being consumed with how you do relative to other people and objectifying those people so that they can be somebody and someone that serves your end. You'll never serve the people that you work with if you're consumed with how you do compared to them. The issue Jesus is getting at in Peter is getting at with us um, is I don't want my life, I want his life, I want their life, this life of comparison of how am I doing, how am I not doing, who am I relative to that person, what kind of life do they get to live that I am not getting to live, and now the question is how do you deal with it? And I think the, the way that we deal with it, it's hidden. It's snuck into the last verse in the book of John. Let's keep reading verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, that we know that his testimony is true. Now, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them were, every one of them to be written, I suppose. Listen to this. Listen, reading through the entire Bible is hard enough without, so praise God that he didn't write them all down, all right? Were every one of them written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Listen, here's what's hidden in there. You, you want to cut comparison to the core? Like, you want to get to the root of comparison in your life? Be consumed with the majesty of Jesus. I mean, be consumed with it. Like, let the great, look at John, read this, and see that all that is written, I mean, this mountain of what Jesus did that's in the book of John is a speck of what Jesus did. I mean, it's a speck of what he did. Like, you want this life of, hey, I don't want my life. I want his life. I want this. You want comparison to be cut to the core. You want the, hey, I think that if they did it the way I did it, their life would be better. They should do it the way I Like, you want to dig that out at its root? Because, I mean, the majesty of Jesus, let it consume you. Let the majesty of Jesus sink deep in you and watch that burst into love for him that overflows in contentment with your life. Watch that just 
burst out in you. And listen, it's a, it's a struggle. Right? It's a struggle. If, if you get so consumed with the majesty of Jesus that it just burst out in you, and all of a sudden you spend like the next 30 years not wrestling with this, you're going to write like 10 books and make billions of dollars. It's a struggle. It's a wrestle. But what if? What if together? What if together we fight? What if together we struggle? What if together we step into a neighborhood parish and inside that neighborhood parish we feel supported and cared for, not critiqued? Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are gracious. And I, I celebrate that you've recorded for us, that John has written for us these words that we might believe, that these are written that we might believe. And so I, I pray right now for my, uh, my brother and my sister in this room right now who are wrestling with, I, I just... My life just isn't what I thought it was going to be. I want their life. I pray that, that right now that you, by the Holy Spirit, might make such an impression on them that they, that they would be consumed with your majesty and that would overflow in love. And then for those in the room who, who are just doubting, who are just, and I, my, my life isn't turning out the way I want it to, and I... I don't even know where to go. I, I pray that they would know that the question Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, is being asked to them today, and that today could be the day where they answer yes. We know that that is, uh, requires your grace, requires the Spirit to do, and so we're asking for grace and the Spirit to do it. In Christ's name, amen.